Welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 79. Well, it was a tough night for my Zags, but I couldn't be prouder of a group of guys. The way they played together with passion and selflessness, they really got the most out of every player on the team. And I have to give it up to Baylor. Their defense was unreal. I mean, the way they swarmed the passing lanes, and they're so fast to the closeouts, and their hands are so quick. And although we didn't win it last night, I have to admit, I never thought I'd see the program rise to this level. For the last 20 years, I guess I've just gotten used to TV announcers and sports writers referring to us as a mid-major. And then they give these educated reasons of why we wouldn't be able to compete against the Blue Bloods. And so it really took me back this year when pretty much every commentator was picking us to make it to the championship game and even win it all. It was so crazy. But the best part of being at Gonzaga is that within the next week or so, all the guys will be back in our training facility putting in work. And today's guest is one of those guys. Jeremy Jones was a member of the 2017 Gonzaga team that played in the national championship game against North Carolina. And throughout his time at GU, I was always impressed with his work ethic and attention to detail. He was a walk-on turned scholarship player who is now a pro. But even as a college athlete, he was a pro when it came to nutrition and taking care of his body. And so I brought him on the show to talk about preparation, eating clean, and what it takes to maximize potential. Here's Jeremy Jones. Jeremy, welcome to the Hoop Commitment Podcast. How you doing? I'm doing awesome, man. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on here. Well, it's fun to see you, man. We've been missing you down in Volker Center. You were a staple there for a lot of years, and now you're a professional basketball player. And so I'd love to hear about your journey because you've been at multiple colleges. You know, you, you just have this really cool, unique story. So tell me about your hoop journey. Man, so just like most basketball players, you started at a super young age in Little League, Church League, just playing as a little boy and just playing for fun, really. And then obviously as the older I got, became more – I don't want to say as a, a job became more of a thing that I was doing with more of a purpose to it. And then just playing two sports my whole life, playing basketball and football and, and having seven division one football offers. I kind of reached a point where I was a senior in high school and I, I really wanted to play basketball in college. And I wanted to see how good I could be if I just put all my energy and effort into one sport. So that's kind of why I decided to ultimately stop playing football and just focus on basketball. So when you were in grade school, high school, it was a football, basketball thing for you. When did you really commit to your sports? Yeah, so my grandpa actually passed away this past year, but he had me and my brother growing up. It was like all about sports. And literally he was laying on his deathbed this past summer. And the only thing he, he would ask me about is sports and how stuff was going. So it was kind of one of those things that has just always been a part of my life and something that I've always been committed to. And then I'll just say, you know, when I talk to a lot of basketball players, um, a lot of my peers, most people stopped playing football or whatever that other sport was um, in middle school or when they went to high school. And for me, that wasn't the case. So they've been able to focus on basketball 
much longer than I have. So like I said, my whole thing was like, how good can I be at this if I just put all my energy, time and effort into this one thing and just give it everything? So coming out of high school, you were highly recruited then as a football player. Did you have options as a basketball player? I did not because I was getting so heavily recruited for football. I actually stopped playing AAU um, right when I was starting to get some calls from some schools. And I, I was getting the football offers and I'm getting some calls from basketball schools. And I'm like, OK, well, football is, you know, my calling. Like I, I need to focus on football. So I was kind of at a point where. I was transitioning out of basketball to just put my energy, time, and effort into football. And then my senior year, I was like, I think this is the other way around. And I had the football offers, so I had to figure out what the best solution was and the best way possible for me to kind of get into a situation where I'm able to play college basketball and then just go from there and being able to accept the football scholarship and then talk to the football coach at the college and the basketball coach and get them to agree to allow me to to walk on the basketball team and play basketball as well um, was something I was able to do. So was your grandfather your biggest influence in your sporting career when you were young? You know, parents always want to ask, how much should I push my kids? You know, how much support should I give them? Should I let them be? And if they love the sport, they'll do it. Or should you kind of create opportunities for them? How did that work with your family? I think you should definitely create opportunities for them. Ultimately, if, if they don't want to do it, then they won't do it. But it was something that I absolutely loved. Yes, my grandpa was an extremely high influence on, on me playing sports. He would literally drag us to every single sporting event. He came to every single one of my practices in high school. It was just awesome to have that influence. And then like now when I have games, my mom sends me audio messages from my games and she watches all the way in America. So yeah, my parents and, and grandparents, extreme influence over my sports career and basketball career. You felt like they ever pushed you or was it always just kind of letting you go at your own pace? No, it was definitely pushing me. But then I, I reached a point where it was like they didn't have to push me, right? Because it was something that I wanted to do and something that was important to me. And so you ultimately decide to go to Rice for football and you arrange it so you can play hoops there too. And so what was that like that first year? I mean, it's hard enough to be a Division One athlete, let alone playing two major sports. Yeah, it was extremely tough, especially I was coming off a, a shoulder surgery. So I was more so rehabbing a football. And then we actually made it to a bowl game that year in football. And the coaches asked me if I wanted to travel to Hawaii for the bowl game or if I wanted to, to go ahead and start my basketball season um, and join the basketball team. And I was like, I think I'm going to join the basketball team. So. A lot of my football teammates were like, you're crazy. It's a free trip to Hawaii. Like, what are you doing? But the transition was, it wasn't that bad. My role on that team was just like a, a hard-nosed guy that just plays super hard. So coming from football, that's kind of the identity that you get. And, and it's easy when you just go out there and play as hard as you can and, and you don't really have to worry about making too many mistakes. Well, and that's how I met you is you transferred to Gonzaga and – you stood out as someone that had a tremendous work ethic and toughness and just you weren't afraid of, of hard work. So what made you choose Gonzaga? I mean, that seems like kind of a random transfer from Rice up to Spokane, Washington. Yeah, I think it all goes back to wanting to see how good I could be if I just dedicated all of my time and gave everything to basketball. I was able to see Gonzaga play Duke in Houston. I think it was an Elite Eight game, and I was just – 
I knew I wanted to transfer and I was looking at different programs and just what I had saw from Gonzaga during that game, just from the outside looking in, like the vibes I got, um, how the players interacted with each other, how the coaches interacted with each other. It was just, I don't know, it was just beautiful. It was something special. And then, you know, I was able to reach out to Tommy Lloyd and God willing, he answered the phone. And when I went up there on a visit, it was just like this crazy family-like atmosphere. The players were amazing. Obviously, the player development is amazing. And I was actually in contact with Central Michigan, Wichita State, and some other schools for potential scholarship opportunities. But after I visited Gonzaga, it was like, this is cream of the crop. One of the best schools in the country, best player development programs in the country. And if you want to see how good you can be, then, you know, what better place to do it than here? So that's kind of what happened. I love hearing that. That's similar to my story in terms of, and I came on the Gonzaga's campus. They didn't have a scholarship for me, but I knew I wanted to be there. And you just have this family vibe. You know, it's just this unbelievable small community with big time resources with basketball. Um, But that takes a lot of confidence in yourself to go to a place where there's not a scholarship waiting for you and turn down places where you do have a full ride. What's that like? You show up on the campus. How's your self-confidence when you show up? You have a ton of guys that are all league NBA players that are in your position that shake your confidence to show up to practice every day, knowing that the hill you had to climb. Well, first I would say um, just making the switch was kind of tough because leaving Rice, which is a prestigious academic school, there were so many people telling me I was crazy. They're like, if you just get this degree, you have a six-figure entry-level job, X, Y, Z. So I got bashed by a lot of people for leaving Rice. But as far as being with that NBA caliber level talent, I think it was awesome because I didn't necessarily always see it as a competition thing, but more of an opportunity thing. And and being able to, to learn from so many of those guys, like I literally stole so many moves and, and so many different things from so many guys that uh, played in front of me and that I was able to practice with. Like I said, it was it was a blessing and it was kind of a thing where I never compared myself uh, or compared my journey to their journey. Because like I said, you know, maybe I've been playing basketball, or just focusing on basketball for their entire lives while, you know, I've been doing both or like I said, football and basketball. So. So just not comparing my journey to theirs and and really just staying the course and seeing how good I could be personally. That is amazing to hear as a 20-something-year-old college student that you have the ability not to play that idea of looking at other people and comparing yourself because that's a no-win game. And even as an adult, I struggle with that as a strength coach. I know so many great strength coaches that I have a hard time not comparing myself to oh, they do such a great job with their mobility or their nutrition or whatever that would be. And so that's pretty wise beyond your years to be able to be in an environment where really it's dictated by, or success might be dictated by playing time on the basketball court. You show up, you know, you're putting the work in and then the game comes and you're not starting. You might be getting limited minutes and you know, you can help the team. Did that shake your confidence at all? Absolutely. There, I mean, there were sleepless nights, times where I wanted to just leave and transfer. But uh, Nigel Goss, one of my best friends, he told me one day, he was like, said, bro, hard work is undefeated. Like, just keep working. And and at some point you will get rewarded. And that's something that I've always just lived by. And because like I said, times got hard. And there were times where I was like, I'm literally putting all this work in and I'm not seeing the floor. Like, I was like, does work even matter? And that's when he told me, you know, hard work's undefeated. So 
like I said, just stay the course and eventually uh, the opportunities get better and better and you're able to showcase the work that you've been putting in. That's so good to hear that from the outside, it looks like you have it all. You're Gonzaga basketball player and you pull back the curtains and you're just like everyone else. You know, you have difficult days. You have days where you want to quit, where you question yourself. And, um, but I think the champions, it's not that they never feel that way. It's that they keep moving forward, even when they do feel that way. So who are some of the people or what were some of the things that kept you going? Obviously, someone like Nigel is so great. Were there other, uh, you know, family members or teammates or were there inspirations that when you wanted to quit, encouraged you to keep going? Yeah, just the idea that seeing if I made it to the other side, like if the grass would be greener. And I believe that it would be, you know, if I just kept working and then the grass is greener on the other side. And then obviously it just goes back to the whole Gonzaga family atmosphere. It was like, it was bigger than me in a sense. And and we had goals for every team we were there and and I wasn't going to be the one to, I guess, let my individual success or lack thereof get in the way of those goals. So I think just having that great supporting cast around me. And like I said, just knowing that it's my own journey and not comparing myself to theirs really helped me get through it and ultimately has kept me going. And then you made it to the other side in terms of earning a scholarship. I mean, that is unbelievable to come through, walk on, have NBA guys, all league players in front of you and you defy the odds. And now you're a scholarship player. Did that mean as much as is maybe someone from the outside thought it would, or is that just money on a piece of paper? No, no, definitely not just money on a piece of paper. In my opinion, in that situation, um, especially all the heat I I took from leaving Rice and taking this crazy risk and then basically having my father financially pay for Gonzaga, which is not a a cheap school. So it was after practice one day. It was around Christmas time in between semesters and Few and Tommy called me up to the office and I'd been practicing really well. And I had no idea why I was in the office. I don't know. Maybe I thought I was in trouble, but I remember having that conversation with them and then them telling me that they're going to give me a scholarship. And it was super rewarding. Like I said, an awesome feeling. One, that my dad didn't have to pay for my school anymore. And then also just, it was kind of a situation where the scholarship was supposed to happen or not happen after the first year at Gonzaga, not the first semester. So being able to, I guess, have that happen so quickly was was extremely rewarding and made me want to just keep working even harder to see how great I could be at the game of basketball. And he never stopped working. That was the funnest part is I get to be in the weight room and I get to kind of observe all the guys and your guy that showed up consistently to do your strength training, you know, all your individual work. But from the outside, I don't know if a lot of people really believe that you would be a significant contributor, especially going into your senior year. There was just so many guys. It wasn't necessarily what you weren't able to do. It's what those other guys were doing. But what was funny is your senior year, you broke into the starting lineup. You were, you were almost could not be denied minutes. What was that like now going from maybe not playing significant minutes to being one of the main guys in the rotation? Extremely rewarding, man. It was, it kind of goes back to what Nigel told me, hard work is undefeated. And I think that's something that if so many people get, then they'll be so much more successful in life is because at the end of the day, you have to put the work in. Um, and at some point, you're going to get noticed and you're going to have to have that opportunity and you're just going to have to be ready when your numbers call. 
And you did a lot of stuff even outside of the court. One of the main reasons I wanted to be on the podcast was to talk about leadership and nutrition. And I'll never forget, you had sent me a text. Hey, can you tell me about those three levels of leadership one more time? And I remember sitting in the weight room having chats about you, chats about leadership and, and how you can contribute to the team, even when you're not on the court. What are some of the leadership lessons that you've taken with you that will help you even after basketball? I think a super important one is leading by example. I had a coach, not, I don't recall if it was in, in high school or middle school, but they said, what you do speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you say. Something along those lines. So I just think leading by example is super important. It's super easy for someone with the title to think that they are a leader or have some type of authority and just, you know, say X, Y, Z. But when you lead by example on and off the floor with nutrition, with the way you work, all this kind of stuff. I think um, my peers are more receptive to the things that I have to say. I think you're so right on. And it's not just leadership on the court like you touched on. There's other pieces like how you take care of your body, how you show up, how you conduct yourself in the community. And one of the things that's been really interesting is talking about nutrition with you. And I didn't realize when you were a student athlete, how dialed in your nutrition was, how you, you know, you're not perfect by any means, but you really focus on it. Where did that come from? What what sparked you to really want to be able to make that a priority in your life? I think just always looking for that competitive. It's kind of like getting extra shots up before practice or after practice. And, you know, say you have a game-winning shot or game-winning free throws, whether you miss or make it, you can always say, well, I put the work in. So kind of the same thing. It's like if, say, you get injured or maybe you didn't feel good one game, you can Go back to the drawing board and you can say, well, I had enough water. I ate enough food. I was eating the right food. I wasn't eating junk or X, Y, Z. So it's kind of one of those things that you could kind of live with the results in a sense. And something that I just feel like can give athletes a competitive advantage. In. And just being able to be around pro athletes, um, even when I was at Gonzaga, a lot of them were eating horribly their first or second year in the NBA. And after that, they realized nutrition matters. And all of them say that they wish they would have realized this earlier on in their career. So I think the earlier an athlete can, can realize how important nutrition is, the better off they'll be. How difficult is that, though, to do in college when you have crazy schedules and then the people around you probably aren't that interested in nutrition, whether it's just your you know friends that go to our students or even your teammates are probably like, how do I just get quick calories in? How challenging yeah. is that to do? It is extremely challenging, especially in college. You know, you have classes, you have your workouts, you have practice, especially for me, like my, my senior year, I had master's classes that didn't end till like 830. And then after that, I go to the gym and get a workout in. And by the time I get home, it's 10 p.m. So it's like, well, what am I going to eat at 10 p.m.? Well, I'm going to have to run and go get some fast food, right? So I think convenience is everything. That's what I've learned in college and, and overseas as well. Now being overseas on my off days, I always do meal prep because when I come home from the first practice, if I don't have food here, then what am I going to do? I'm probably just going to go grab some junk. But if I prep some food, then it's easier for me to, you know, just warm some food up and, and eat it. And then in college, I think I, I've told you this before, but I had a chef that would actually cook me meals. So when I was done with the workout at 1030 at night, I wasn't running the to Wendy's or one of these fast fast food restaurants. I just had some meals in the fridge. I just warmed it up. And it kind of sounds like something that kind of crazy for a college athlete to have a chef in a sense. But from a financial perspective, I found that I was actually spending less money having this, this chef cook me meals than I would be if I was going out to eat. 
every night and grabbing fast food and that kind of stuff. So I think convenience is like the biggest thing. If you set yourself up for success, then and you can do some positive stuff um, nutritionally. That's amazing that a more convenient option, a healthier option, like having a chef, is also the less expensive option when you think about maybe some of the fast food that you're eating out, especially if you're doing tips or you know nicer restaurants. What did a typical day look like in college for you? Were you a guy that eats breakfast? You know, what would be a sample breakfast for you, lunch, dinner? Kind of walk me through that. Yeah, so I think I really realized how important breakfast was when I, after my first year in college, I flew out to Vegas and I was working out with Nigel and his dad. And one morning I didn't eat breakfast and it was the worst I had felt after workout in my entire life. I was dizzy. I thought I was going to pass out. And from that day forward, I always told myself I will eat breakfast before workout. So in college, it would either be oatmeal. I love the wellness tree. So I'd always go there and grab an acai bowl packed with fruit and a bunch of other superfoods. And then just traditional stuff like eggs and some turkey bacon or a piece of toast. Now, what I'm doing here overseas is I'll prep some pancake mix. No recipe. I literally just throw some oats in a bowl, throw some fl- some wheat flour in a bowl, throw some flax seeds, some chia seeds, some milk, and I'll throw some protein powder in there and mix it up. And I'll basically have the pancake mix for the next three or four days. So when I wake up, I just throw the mix on the, on the stove and, and just easy, quick and go. Like I said, another convenience thing, right? So it's easily available for me. So I'm able to eat pretty healthy there. Lunch, I would say, especially overseas, it's a lot of pasta. It's like pasta galore. It's like you cannot escape pasta even if you want to overseas. I love Mexican food. So a lot of times I'll, I'll do some some sort, sort of tacos or something like that. And for dinner, I like to do you know, maybe some rice chicken or rice and salmon with some vegetables. Pretty simple as well. Like I'll prep the vegetables days in advance and, and eat those for three or four days. And I'll prep like a, a big thing of rice. So I'm just heating that up. And so it's, I mean, everything's convenient and prep for me. And snacks, always fruit or some type of nuts. And with that chef, was that someone that you was a, that was a family friend or was that something that you found online? How did you get connected with someone? I had to reach out to multiple people. And they were ultimately able to connect me with this lady. And she came by and we sat down and she asked me what my goals were nutritionally, the kind of foods I liked and that kind of stuff. And literally we went through a plan and she was able to basically produce some really nice meals that uh, helped me be successful. Do you find yourself for a while you were really focused on being plant based? Are you still doing a ton of fruits and vegetables in your diet? Yes, absolutely. Now I'm not as geared towards not eating meat, but I'm still plant-based in a sense where I think vegetables are extremely important. The year we went to the Final Four, I went plant-based and got a lot of heat from my teammates. And especially uh, Zach Norvell was, he was like, oh, you're on this life diet and da 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 So that was pretty funny. Um, last year, I went plant-based for about three or four months. So it's something that I do like to do periodically and something that I think that when I'm done playing sports, that I, I would do a lot more of. That's nice. I like how you can kind of go in and out of things. If you're not too tied to one way of eating, you don't have to hold yourself hostage. I know some people, they might say, hey, I want to be plant-based. And then they'll actually sacrifice good health and performance to stay on that track. You know, they might yeah. travel somewhere and their options are, well, have something that has chicken or eggs in it or go hungry. And they'll go hungry. 
And yeah. so I love how you're able to look and say, hey, this is something that my body does well with. This is something that is important to me. But you can also free flow based on the environment you're in, how many calories you're needing. You know, you got to pay attention, not just to the health side, but also the performance side. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think I heard you say this. It's like you use the analogy of your body being like a vehicle, right? And I mean, if you don't have any gas in the vehicle, then the vehicle is not going to perform. So I think that's another thing a lot of people have to look at is, is how much you're eating. Because obviously, like I said, if, if you don't give the body the, the proper things that it needs in order to perform, then you're not even going to get to show and broadcast the things that you've been training and working on because you have no gas in the tank. Well, I know you're human. So tell me when you want to let your hair down and splurge a little bit. What's your like go-to meal? Man, I wouldn't even say splurge, but I guess if we want to say cheat day, and it's funny, every time I hear cheat day, I think of J3 and Nigel, because anytime any of us would ever get dessert at Gonzaga, we kind of look at each other and laugh and be like, oh, cheat day, huh? So I would say my cheat day, especially when I'm back home, is Whataburger, uh, Patty Melt. I absolutely love Whataburger patty melt with some of their fries, some spicy ketchup and, and a strawberry shake. So that's definitely my uh, cheat meal, I guess I would say. And and yeah, I definitely enjoy that. Well, with all the plants, all the good nutrition you're taking in, do you have to supplement or do you choose to supplement at all? Um, I think supplementing for me is, is more of a off-season and a, a pre-season kind of thing when the workload is like crazy heavy. Off-season, preseason, I'm taking protein shakes after every single workout, whether it's weight, basketball. Sometimes it's like three or four protein shakes a day. I will take amino acids in the preseason. And I was doing some ZMA, uh, like zinc, magnesium type stuff at Gonzaga. And while I was overseas a little bit as well, but I got off those because I would just be super drowsy in the mornings when I wake up after taking those. And I just... Hated the feeling of that, but I definitely got better sleep being on those as well. And I think sleep is is important as an athlete. Oh, yeah. You think about the workouts are part of the, the workouts are a piece of the puzzle for sure. They create the stimulus, but where you get better is with nutrition and with the sleep piece. How is that going back and forth in and out of the country, different time zones? That's got to mess up your sleep cycle. Yeah, for sure. Especially when you first get overseas and and you have preseason, which is obviously crazy. And, you know, maybe you haven't been able to sleep for the first week or two. For me, it was extremely challenging, but I was taking those supplements, the ZMA and, and everything when I first got here. So I was able to adjust at some point. But, you know, it's, at the end of the day, you just got to get the job done. So we have a lot of high school and college athletes, college basketball players listening to this. What advice would you have to give them on the nutrition piece if they want to be able to step their game up a little bit? I mean, it's like, look, you only get one body, right? So you can't be putting junk in it, whether we're talking about from an athlete perspective or, or even after athletics. It's like if you just eat junk, then your body will produce junk. And that's when you you get these different sicknesses and diseases and that type of stuff. And and when you look at it from from an athlete perspective, just how important the body is and nutrition is, I mean, you look at somebody like LeBron James who spends, I think, like 1.5 million in the offseason on his body and recovery and nutrition, all that type of stuff. It just shows you the best player in the world is doing that. So why shouldn't you be doing it, you know? And and unless you're you're moving like Zion Williamson and that kind of stuff, 
I feel like everyone should be looking for a competitive advantage or a competitive edge. And nutrition is one of the ways that you can do that as an athlete. And then, like I said earlier, the pro athletes that I know did not take nutrition serious early on in their career. And, and after a few years, they did begin taking it serious and they wish they would have started sooner. So just the idea of the earlier, the better, the earlier um, an athlete realizes how important nutrition is, the more successful they'll be and, and the better chance they have of putting themselves in a position to be successful. I love hearing your quote about you only have one body. That's the quote that got me to become a strength coach. My trainer in college, Steve DeLong, said, you know, you only get one body. Might as well learn as much as you can about it. And so yeah. that was kind of interesting. You know, as a college student, I didn't even know, like, what muscle, I didn't even know what bones certain things were, like, is a tibia, fibula? You know, it's yeah. interesting how you walk around with this, you know, this body, and you don't even know what all the parts are called and how to fuel it and how to take care of it. So that's kind of cool. We're on the same page on that one. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, Steve-O. Forgot Steve was around when you were here, huh? Yeah, yeah. He was around and then he kind of kind of eased his way out and would still see him in the weight room with stocks. Yeah, how special is that? You got to work out with one of the greatest point guards in the history of the game. What was that like being able to be around a guy that you know had gone so far in the game of basketball? Yeah, that, that's so beautiful. I was actually doing an a interview here in Germany the other day and they asked me about um, John and David and Mike, because obviously, um, you know, David and, and Mike played out here. I was telling them about Sunday hoops and, and noon ball and that kind of stuff. And just the amount of time I've gotten to spend with John and other great players at Gonzaga and, and just how intense Sunday ball is and, and how he plays with us and, and how competitive it is and how he gives everyone little tips and that kind of stuff. Something that I will tell you, I've been meaning to text him for like the last two months about this, but something that has stuck with me that John told me one day at Sunday ball, I had the worst headache ever. Like I wasn't going to play. And he was like, well, good thing your head is pretty far from your heart. So I had a headache here in practice like a couple months ago. And I was like, good grief. Like, I don't know if I'm going to get through this. And that's what I thought of. I was like, well, my head's far from my heart. So that's something that's really stuck with me from him when I have like, say a headache or, or any nagging injuries or that kind of stuff. I've learned so much from him. We did, we actually had him on a podcast. We did a whole episode on Sunday hoops and I've had the same experience, which I've learned so much about toughness and showing up for your teammates, being part of something bigger than yourself, because same thing I came and I can't remember how, what exactly it was. I think my neck was hurting and I had a hard time turning my head. And so I walked in and, I was just thinking I would just come down and watch that day, maybe shoot on the sideline or something. And uh, he said, how you doing? I said, oh, my neck's killing me, you know? And he said, oh, mine was too. Yeah. But ready to shoot him up. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, not playing is just not even an option because, you know, like you could walk in here. Okay, let's go. You know, you got a horrible headache. Well, you're not dying. Let's go play. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, Definitely someone who I've, I'm super grateful to, to have been able to learn so much from and still learn so much from. So, yeah, blessed to have him in my life. Well, and I feel blessed to have you in my life. It's, uh, you know, not often when the player makes such a huge impact on a coach. And so it's an honor to have you on the podcast just because of the way of the person you are, the way you conducted yourself, the way you treat people. 
the way you're treating my son, the way I see you treat all the fans in the community in the Gonzaga community. It's just a real honor to know you and just so thankful to, to have you part of the Zeg Brotherhood. So where can our listeners find out more about you? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Mike. It's truly a pleasure just to be on your on your podcast. I'm not taking it for granted. And like I said, thank you from the bottom of my heart. So my my social media, everything is at Too Long Jones on my Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. I have a YouTube channel called Too Long Financials, where I've been doing a, a bunch of different financial stuff and, and just, I guess, educating people on the importance of finance, finances and investing. Um, and then I'm starting another YouTube channel called Too Long Jones as well. So that's everywhere where, where you can see what I have going on. I love it. Always doing something, whether it's leadership, nutrition, you're going to have a great life after basketball, man. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Now that's a wrap on episode 79. And I hope you'll join me next week where I get to interview author and former Whitworth University president, Bill Robinson. Throughout the past season, I heard Gonzaga star Corey Kispert talk about leading people from the middle. And I thought, hey, I know the guy who actually wrote the book on leading people from the middle. And so Bill was kind enough to join us and talk about how to influence your team and community with exceptional leadership. If you want to learn more about leading from the middle, you're going to love this episode. And to all of you who are committed, well, earn your X. (laughs) 